Welcome to EduWeb, a podcast discussing the hot issues in Scottish education. In this episode, we interview Joyce Matthews. Joyce has 30 years experience working in education and in the time she's worn many hats over her career. Uh, She's been a former PE teacher. Joyce uh, combines that extensive classroom experience that she's got in leadership practice with facilitation, coaching, writing, consultancy work. Um, She was a wealth of information and a fantastic interview and I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook or Pinterest and you can also read our blog at edublether.wordpress.com. We've redesigned the website in line with all our features. Um, You can have a look at the We Recommend section for uh, books, websites and um, apps that we recommend. You can look at the Inspired By section to find out what we've really been um, inspired to to practice in our classroom or take into our schools. Or you can look at our main features section, which features blog posts and also our episodes from our back catalogue. So our next feature is in the news. What's in the news in this episode? First article I wanted to have a chat about was that a school in Dundee were proposing that they wanted to spend some of their pupil equity money and um, some of the PEF money on swimming lessons. This mm-hmm. was immediately shot down by John Swinney saying that that wasn't appropriate use of the PEF money. He was saying that actually the pupil equity funds should be used to reduce the attainment gap and not be there to recover things that have maybe the budget's not there for anymore, like swimming lessons. Uh, but when you read into it a wee bit more, I think it was just that the school were proposing that that might be something they were doing. They would never actually spend any money on doing it. So it felt like a very aggressive retort from John Swinney when it wasn't actually needed in the first place. Mm-hmm. And my in the news uh, in this episode is to highlight that we Higgius, so this is the child-friendly version of How Good Is Our School For is available for schools so that pupil councils, pupil leadership teams can actually engage in reflecting and reviewing the practice that goes on in our school. And the last news article for this episode uh, actually uh, comes from a a friend of the show, George Gilchrist. Um, He was quoted in a BBC News article this week on the new SNSA assessments in that there was actually a a spell checker cheat that you could do that some (laughs) primary sevens had found. Uh, In this assessment, obviously, it takes place uh, on a computer, so you do the assessment. Part of the literacy assessment is a, a spelling test, some of that you have to find the misspelled word and actually some browsers when they were entering the words it would come up with that squiggly red line underneath so it would tell them had they spelled it correctly or not. Then they could right click it and get the correct spelling so actually these very expensive, very time consuming assessments are, uh, there's a loophole that you can cheat on so if you're listening out there primary sevens, <laughs> you know what to do to improve your results. So that's our in the news section for this episode. All of the articles we featured uh, will be on our Twitter feed, so you can click to read the full article. So it's now time for our main feature of this episode. Jude and I interviewed Joyce Matthews, 
um, on the topic of leadership. And one of the things I really liked about interviewing Joyce was it was a really uh, relaxed conversation. We were um, having a bit of discussion about the key points around professional learning, around leadership. Um, she gave some really good, useful tips. And probably the takeaway for me is that she made a difference between pedagogy and andagogy. Is that right? Andragogy. <laughs> Andragogy. Andragogy. Um, which is adult education, as opposed to catering for um, children and the art of teaching. So really interesting um, and really thankful for Joyce. We've been wanting to interview her for a wee while. We've managed to arrange it on a school night, so that's great. Um, and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome Joyce to EduGleather. Thank you. Great to have you here. Um, lots of questions, burning questions, loads to talk about. Um, and the first question we're just going to get us started right off is if you could just talk to us about your journey so far. <laughs> that sounds very cheesy, I know, but if you can just talk to us about your journey in education and what's led to you to where you are now. Certainly. Um, so I graduated 30 plus years ago um, from Dunfermline College of Physical Education in Edinburgh, which doesn't actually even exist anymore. <laughs> uh, it was taken over by Morning House, which was then, I think, taken over by Edinburgh University. So all girl P colleges just are a thing of the past. Okay. Uh, when I graduated, there weren't any jobs in Scotland that year. So we all fled and I ended up in England for the next 30 years. So although I graduated as a PE teacher in Scotland, I've never actually taught in Scotland, okay. only ever taught in England. Um, started off teaching just outside Scunthorpe, uh, then I moved to Norfolk, and then I finished off teaching in Norfolk in a private girls boarding school, which was absolutely lovely. And then I moved to Newcastle in the north of England as advisory teacher for PE. And I loved it. It was absolutely great because by then I, I kind of felt I'd done as much as I could do teaching in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And the natural move for me was to move on teaching teachers. So I worked across all the schools in Newcastle, helping the teachers to deliver better PE lessons, which was great. Absolutely. All my skills, everything that I loved. Then the job kind of slid sideways and I could see that the advisory posts were going and I was offered... Uh, the manager position of the School Sport Partnership in New Newcastle, which I took on, and it was a, a government-funded programme to increase participation in PE in school sports for children just before the Olympics. Okay. And it was everything that I wasn't good at. <laughs> so it was running budgets, it was employing staff, uh, marketing, uh, PR, everything that I had never done before and I just felt as if my teaching skills were being kind of sidelined mm -hmm. um, it was uncomfortable and it was a huge rapid learning curve um, and once I'd kind of got my head around it I was continuing to do a lot of training with teachers as well so I, I could juggle both things mm -hmm. and that was great because that was what I enjoyed the, the teaching the teachers mm -hmm. um, and I'd been in that a good few years um, when the government decided to pull the funding on it, which was probably absolutely correct because we were getting an awful lot of money and it was totally unsustainable. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, I could see that what we were doing and especially what I was doing, training the teachers, wasn't actually working. Mm 
because the same teachers kept coming back every single year on every dance, gymnastics, games course. And I thought, this this can't be right. Mm -hmm. If I'm doing my job properly and if I am developing their skills and empowering them and helping them to be better PE teachers, they shouldn't be coming back every year. So what exactly am I doing wrong? So it, it made me think a lot about how we develop teachers professionally. And I started to do a lot of courses and learn a bit more about um, social learning and cognitive psychology and NLP and facilitation and all sorts of things. And I realised actually that training teachers the way I was training them um, and doing demonstration lessons, actually I was disempowering them Mm. because they were never going to be me. I was a PE specialist with years and years of experience and a four-year specialist PE degree. They were primary teachers. Mm -hmm. So I was never going to turn them into me and I was, I was going about it the wrong way. So what I realised was rather than try and teach them to be me, what I would prefer to do would be to try and give them more confidence and competence in their own skills. So that's when I realised that actually facilitation was the way forward. It was more about getting them to realise that they had the skills, they have the resources within themselves and just to be more confident and be able to access them and release them. So that's when I got into facilitation and I started doing some work for the National College of School Leadership. They trained me as a facilitator, they assessed me, they quality assured me, and then they let me loose to teach other facilitators, <laughs> which was great. <laughs> um, so that all happened at the same time that the funding went and my job disappeared. And so I thought I'd set up my own business and I set it up, got my own website, business cards, all the rest of it. And then I had to figure out what it was this business actually did. <laughs> So I designed my, I suppose you could say I designed my life rather than my job with Mm -hmm. everything that I didn't want to do and everything that I did want to do. And I wanted to do the facilitation because for me, it's just an extension of teaching. That was my skills. And I wanted to travel. And the work I was getting was facilitating leadership. So I designed it so that I deliver school leadership internationally. And that's where I am now. Wow. And in terms of you know, looking at that, was there a huge gap in the market, you know, or were there competing um, either companies or local authorities or or national improvement agencies, were they focused on that or actually was there a real gap in the market for, for leadership well, development? At the time I started, everything in England came through the National College for, it was then called the National College for School Leadership and it then became the National College for Teaching and Leadership. Everything came through there. Okay. Um, because it was government funded. It was an executive arm of the government. Mm-hmm. And also it was founded on a very strong belief that the skills and the talent were in the profession. So mm-hmm. it was coming from all the right places. And morally, it, it sat very, very comfortably with me that there was this huge belief in teaching and teachers. And everything they did um, was quality assured. There were great programs. Mm-hmm. It had its own building. It was so inspiring to be there mm-hmm. with all these people who were super motivated and really excited. And it was just a great, great time for mm-hmm. for education. And then they decided they were going to go to a self-improving system where they would um, sell the franchise, the, the licenses for all their programs, and they sold them. And it doesn't really exist anymore except oh, wow. in name. Mm. Wow. So a huge change then. 
huge change. So when I, I kind of decided just to work internationally after that, I found that there were a few of us doing it, but not many. Mm-hmm. And now the more I've done it, the more I realise that actually I'm probably only the only facilitator that specialises in school leadership. Every other facilitator that I work with tends to do other things. Okay. Whereas I seem to be the only one that specialises in facilitating school leadership. And it can be quite lonely. I'm struggling to find my tribe. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess in terms of that then, where did you start in terms of what do you offer? Because there's so many different types of leadership. So we've had another podcast on teacher leadership and we spoke to Fergal Kelly from Scale. But there's also, I guess, middle leadership, there's senior leadership and there's system leadership. How did you go about deciding, you know, what you were going to offer and what was a priority and what expertise you had in that, I guess? Uh, I, I, I call it leadership, but uh-huh. actually I've done all of those. So uh-huh. it can be anything within okay. any of those. Okay. Uh, I've done system leadership with um, local authority representatives from India who came over for six weeks. I did a six-week programme for them, which was long. Uh, I've done aspiring leadership out in China. I've done middle leadership here in the UK. Mm -hmm. Um, So, And I do mostly school principal leadership, but leadership is leadership. And I think what makes me unique is the way that I approach it. Because I'm a PE teacher, Mm -hmm. uh, my approach is that it's Mm skill-based. which is different from a lot of the other approaches, which are very much theoretical, knowledge-based, model-based. And although I use lots of models and knowledge Mm. and research, my emphasis is, okay, how do you do it? Not just what do you know about it, but how do you do it and how do you do it in different situations? Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm concerned about. Yeah, and I think that's so important as well because, you know, time is so, like, limited in schools and I think you really need the practical things that are going to make the biggest difference. Absolutely, yeah. And actually the confidence that you already know how to do this and you've probably done it in a different situation, but I'll show you that you know how to do it in Mm -hmm. your situation, maybe a more demanding situation. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, it's just like teaching a skill and... uh, for a game so you kind of isolate the skill you teach the skill you put it in more and more complex and more stressed and more overloaded situations so that when the parent does come through the door screaming at you at half past three in the afternoon it's okay because you've practiced this yeah absolutely so you're you know the kind of theory behind it but you've practiced the actual skill in your context yeah yeah uh-huh, because reading a book about gymnastics will never turn you into a gymnast. Yeah. <laughs> no matter how hard will. you try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would have loved to have been Olga Corbett, but you know. <laughs> and Joyce, in terms of, um, like, have you been pushing an open door with, you know, your kind of leadership? Because one of the things I've always um, been frustrated by is, you know, teachers are, are so invested in learning and teaching for young people and I think sometimes our professional development almost takes kind of second stage and we don't prioritise our own professional learning. Is that something that you have seen or have you had to yes. cajole or yes. encourage people? Yeah, I, I would agree with you totally. And, you know, you mentioned the open door. Lots of teachers say to me, oh, our head teachers have an open door policy. Well, actually, that superficially is great. 
But subconsciously, what you're saying is, I'm always available. I'm not important enough to have time on my own and close that door and say, no, this is my time. I need to recharge. I need to refill. This is my time. And I would agree with you. It's not just teachers, head teachers, system leaders that don't give themselves enough time Mm -hmm. to, to recharge and do their own professional development, but facilitators as well. And I had kind of forgotten I'm important when it comes to professional development. Absolutely. And I thought back on that cycle again because I'd I'd forgotten it for a wee while. Um, and so when I'm not working, mm-hmm. I'm learning all the time. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I mean, obviously that, that, that comes through an awful lot in reading your work and reading what you're, you're posting online as well. It's about that you just have this real love of learning. And I think that's clearly helped you get you to where you are because actually it's just you're just wanting to instill that on other people as well. And I think that's it's just a, it's a really interesting take on it because my my point with leadership and on the kind of leadership journey that I'm on at the moment, it's about that point of reflecting on why how I've got to where I am do you know and thinking about not wanting to lose sight of all these skills and that love of learning that I had and not wanting to get just kind of stuck in all the sort of business procedural sort of stuff it's about continuing to develop and focus on the things that are important to me and how I can then make that important to other people as well and that's absolutely yeah your enthusiasm and your passion it's it is infectious um, we have mirror neurons and the people that you're with, if you're excited and you're passionate, they will pick that up from you. So it's very important that you are excited by what you do and you do continue your learning. And I would say it's much more important that teachers focus. You know, a lot of teachers say, oh, it's all about the children. Mm-hmm. Actually, for me, yes, the children are there, but they will learn better if you make it more about you and Mm -hmm. focus on yourself Mm -hmm. and refilling your reservoir of knowledge energy enthusiasm passion Mm -hmm. you are modeling for them all the time and if you're tired and exhausted and fed up that's been modeled to them constantly yeah you've touched on it a few times Joyce in terms of your uh, approach to leadership uh, and and understanding of sort of neuroscience in, in terms of how people learn and what's happening inside their, their heads but that focusing that in, in terms of leadership there's a huge kind of shift towards that in in sort of learning and teaching at the moment with sort of cognitive load theory and growth mindset and everything but I've, I've not really seen a lot of that in terms of leadership learning could you just talk about about your how you're using that in terms of what you're doing facilitating leadership and how you're thinking about how people learn to actually develop leadership Yep. Um, What you probably won't see uh, when you're on a leadership course is all the design that goes in behind it. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's several skills involved in being a facilitator and the underpinning knowledge is that of andragogy, Mm -hmm. which is adult learning as opposed to pedagogy, child learning. So there's the underpinning andragogy and then before, my belief is before you can be a really good facilitator, you have to be a really good designer. Uh of learning and so it's the way I design the programs where I use a lot of the cognitive um, psychology and how the learners uh, are paced and led through the learning so that they literally self-generate their own questions and their own learning to then get them onto that pathway where they're in a situation where they realise they want to learn something, they're desperate to learn it, how do I do this? And then I can provide the opportunities for them to practice it and then integrate it into their own daily behaviour. 
So a lot of it is in the design. Mm. And when you're actually facilitating it, it's about the language and the words that you choose to use. Uh, so inquiry strategies are very, very important and the words and the placing of the words, yeah. uh, the tone of the voice, um, the pace, uh, the way things are introduced. There's, a, there's so many subtleties and sometimes I don't actually realise what I'm doing until one of my trainee facilitators will say, oh, do you realise you didn't move at all there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you know? Was it? You know, I I don't sometimes know what I'm doing, but um, the the trainee ones pick it up and they sometimes map my way around the room and and do things like that. And you stood still and do you realise you modelled the asking of that question? And yeah, I do all sorts of things. I'm I'm kind of in the habit of doing now, so I'm not really consciously aware of doing them. Yeah, it's it's really interesting actually because I think as as leaders, I, I don't often put as much thought into that or the, the elements of pace and, and as you're saying, that sort of um, the thinking about how it's constructed as much as I would consider pedagogy when I'm teaching children, you know, when I'm doing sort of cat sessions or development opportunities, I, I, I don't, I openly admit there, I don't think about it as much because I, there's just an assumption almost that, well, it's adults, they'll get it, you know, and that's, yeah. that's wrong. And they learn very differently and this, yeah. this is one of my biggest bugbears actually, that um, pedagogy is is different from andragogy and mm -hmm. pedagogical specialists and experts as teachers are mm. have to slide a little bit along that spectrum of teaching mm -hmm. to embrace andragogy if they want to really effectively teach mm -hmm. adults. Yeah and I think you know <clears throat> whenever I've been to a few professional learning sessions where on occasion, you'll just sit and listen for an hour, an hour and a half, and we would never ever do that with young people. Exactly. Do you uh -huh. know? And, so why yeah, and that's do we think that's acceptable? Yeah. yeah, just to, it's not acceptable for young people. But actually, as adults, we think, oh, we'll just offload all of this content uh -huh. and knowledge, and they'll pick it up because they're adults. But adults get bored too. That's true. And, and when I look back, that was what was going wrong with my training. I was delivering training like it was a lesson. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and, a, and a pretty boring lesson as you say now that I look back on it and I'm quite embarrassed when I think back about how little I knew about how adults learned and about to how to make it really effective for them so that actually I don't particularly need to know all the content I just need to know the right way to design it the right questions to ask at the right times yeah um I think it's also you, you clearly feel very passionate about that sort of involving um, the leaders in their own learning process, you know, and actually finding out what's inside them. And yep. you've, you've written, uh, writing's clearly important to you. You write extensively on your blog. You've, you've written books as well. And one of the books you've written is How Great Writing Can Make You a Great Leader. Can you just reflect on the, the role that writing plays in development and leaders developing as leaders? Um, I, at the moment, I'm into creative writing and I'm finding it an amazingly uh, reflective tool. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of teachers and a lot of leaders blog. Mm -hmm. uh, and I find that that is a very um, useful reflective tool to help you think about your own practice and reflect on your own practice. Mm -hmm. And if you continue into looking at the words that you choose, 
-hmm. and the words that you use frequently, which then reflects your habits of thinking and your patterns of thinking. It's a great way to learn about yourself Mm -hmm. and actually see the way that you're thinking because it's there in black and white. And I must admit, that's one of the reasons I love to use Twitter or LinkedIn, because you can really use it as a testing ground for your inquiry strategies, because you can see what people are saying, which then displays their thinking patterns, Mm -hmm. which then also displays what they're not saying. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's far more interesting than what they're saying. So the written words gives you the time that you maybe don't have when you're speaking to somebody or you're in a meeting to Mm. actually analyze the language and the patterns of thinking the written word gives you much more time and that's what I really enjoy about writing and and for me the creative writing actually is just it's another teaching tool almost Mm. if I can now find a way to write that enthuses people or interests people or teaches people um through creative writing then that's maybe my next challenge Hmm. And how how important, Joyce, is um, journaling? You know, so I totally agree with you that Twitter and LinkedIn and getting kind of your message out there. I mean, that's what we've kind of tried to do with our blog as well. And we've really enjoyed doing that. But I also think for me, where I'm dealing with quite a lot of critical incidents where, you know, you wouldn't want to share that kind of information. So I've got a kind of private journal that's just for me. I just look at it, but it allows me to kind of almost offload a bit um, yes. and reflect. And then, you know, I look back at journal entries I've, I've entered maybe a year or two years ago. And I can, I'm like sometimes thinking, was that really me? Because I'm totally different now. So how important do you think an activity like that is to your development? I think it's a great habit uh-huh. uh, and I think it is very useful as you say it, it's great to offload and how how long do you spend writing your journal do you have a set time you write or a set no, number of pages I wouldn't know I would say it's so it's on my phone so I have it wherever I go um I don't I'm not as kind of I'm not in a habit with it it's really just like you know if there's a critical incident if I'm having a bad day and rather than coming home and like feeling something's eating me inside I think right this is a good opportunity to actually write it down and Uh get things down or maybe plan something that I'm going to do next so probably I spend maybe 10-15 minutes maximum for each entry okay so I would encourage you when you think you're done Uh force yourself just to write a little bit more because that's when the juicy stuff starts to come out Mm. Um, that's when you get below sort of subconscious, okay. conscious level to your subconscious and actually you get right down to the deep re- reasons, possibly beliefs that are maybe out of date, limiting beliefs that you're holding that are out of date and not useful anymore. Okay. Um, that's when you get to the real juicy stuff. Mm. And go back to your journals, as you said that you've done, go back and maybe just highlight wee gems and things that you think, oh, wow, did I write that? Wow. <laughs> that might be useful another time. So yeah. there'll be lots of little gems in there. Mm. Um, yeah go back and enjoy your own writing yeah absolutely thank you you're welcome (laughs) Uh, I think the next thing we were wanting to uh, talk to you about we're always very jealous uh, of of your travels and the fact that you get to go and observe so many different education systems I I just wondered if you could talk about your um, work on an international level and if you could maybe reflect on differences that you see in terms of leadership, any similarities or any sort of lessons that we could maybe learn uh, from what you've observed. 
I, I think what I would probably say is that school leaders, whether they're aspiring or um, head teachers or principals or even system leaders, are pretty much the same the world over. There are cultural differences. Mm. Um, however, I, I'm finding that it's the same sort of pressures. You know, you're with them in, in a room for a, a week or four days or a week or whatever, and then you go back for another week. And the biggest pressures they have are interruptions to their learning, whether it's memorandums from the Ministry of Education or diktats from whoever's in control. It's external pressures mm. which are stopping them from perhaps making the decisions they'd like to be have to having or from having the freedom they'd like to have mm -hmm. to run the schools the way they want to run them. So we talk about morally driven leadership and there are a lot of morally driven head teachers out there who have huge dissonance because they can't stick with their morals because the system isn't maybe supporting that. Mm -hmm. And they've got that sort of friction. So I think being a head teacher is a very difficult job. I'm not sure that I would want it because there, there is friction and it's not always easy. And that seems to be the case the world over. And it's also very lonely. Uh -huh. Yeah. And has there been any um, school or country or education, uh, education system that you have visited, Joyce, that you've been particularly impressed by in terms of maybe the support or or the professional learning, or the work-life balance that has made the job a little bit easier? Um, the Canadians certainly seem to be very relaxed and laid back. Okay. <laughs> and nothing, not much faced them. Um, the Japanese take their, their job very, very seriously, and a lot of it is tradition. We've done it this way. Mm -hmm. um, I've found in some countries that head teachers are not... Um, they don't know how to ask questions because the culture is you don't ask questions. Okay, mm. so it's very much a command and control type structure. Absolutely, yeah. From the government. I've found yeah. other systems that teachers and head teachers like to ask questions in the training room. However, they are very conscious that when they leave that safe space, mm -hmm. they're not allowed to ask questions, they're not allowed to discuss. It's seen as being disrespectful to ask questions or to question authority. Um. So... Yeah, there are different problems in different contexts, and maybe not problems, different challenges, different sure. ways of viewing things, uh, which makes my job much more interesting because mm -hmm. I'm always uh, doing a little pre bit of pre-reading and finding out about the situation before I go there and getting to know. And it's all again, it's more learning for me. Every time I go, I get to learn more about a culture. Yeah, and and if you were to pick one thing or that had the biggest impact on your learning as a result of your international visits? Is there anything that sticks out that you think, wow, that's really affecting me or that's going to change what I'm going to do? Uh, yes, there was a head teacher in Brunei who, after the two-week leadership programme, she came back and she did a presentation and um, she said that working with her colleagues not necessarily the, the programme, but the fact that she'd had um, cooperation, collaboration, um, a real social learning experience had made her feel that she had gone from a zero to a hero. Wow. wow. And it, it was the fact that she suddenly felt 
that her opinion was valued, that actually she knew some stuff mm -hmm. and what she knew was valuable and other people wanted to listen mm -hmm. to her and she had an identity which she felt she had lost just being a head teacher and being at the whim of the education system. Wow. And that's really powerful stuff, isn't it? That that's yeah. transformed her thinking and outlook on things. Yes. Uh -huh. and I always joke about um, my evaluation of whether a, a, a programme has, has done well or not is whether the delegates gain height. And I always say I'm going to measure them when they come in and measure them when they leave after a week uh -huh. because I'm sure they gain in height because their confidence and yeah. competence in themselves mm -hmm. Yeah. Their skills changes and they become much more upright, shoulders back, and I swear they grow up an inch, every single one of them. <laughs> Fantastic. And, and I guess that brings us back to home, and obviously there's a number of changes and we're looking at leadership in Scotland, and in particular the role of the head teacher, and, and we're saying every head teacher in Scotland will have to have a qualification, and they're, they're also the, the kind of proposed head teacher's charter. Is there a danger we're, we're just going to give too much to head teachers and too much say, or do we need to have a wee bit of that kind of governance and control? What do you think? Um, well, I'm still learning about the Scottish system, and this is the benefit of being away for 30 years, that I can come back and ask the really stupid questions because I genuinely <laughs> don't know. Yeah. Um, so I'll be asking the questions that, that people here kind of take for granted. I can remember in a session recently I asked what excellence and equity was, okay. and everyone kind of said, well, you know, and I said, well, I don't know, is it a thing, is it a document, can I hold it? <laughs> These stupid questions, but things that actually people hadn't kind of thought of before. Um, so I'm finding it fascinating learning about the Scottish system and being able to ask these questions and be really curious about it. Uh -huh. And I think the Scottish system is in a really privileged place at the moment, especially with the Scottish College for Educational Leadership, mm -hmm. because you've seen what's happened in England yeah. and you know, money has been devolved to schools there, things have changed dramatically and you've now got all these multi-academy trusts and uh, free schools and all sorts of things going on down there and I think it's a great opportunity for Scotland to learn about what is working and what's not working and to make their own way through and I'm sure it will be the right way through because I've found actually that Scotland is very different from England yeah. and the head teachers are very different and the teachers are very different. You're still very, very passionate up here and you still have your own identity and it is quite, quite different from working in England. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I hope that continues, certainly. But I know there's, you know, there's a lot of change in Scottish education and I think um, there's a lot to find out. So good luck. <laughs> and I change, so it's great. It's it's yeah. exciting. I find change an exciting time, and yeah. maybe that's the way to look at it. That mm -hmm. yes, it can be daunting, and it can be exciting too. Absolutely. Um, and I think now just uh, aware that it's a very sunny evening, and we don't want to keep you in all night, Joyce. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll draw things to a close, um, and with a bit of a cheeky question, really understanding that I know you do this. Uh, two two weeks you would do this question maybe over a two-week course uh, with lots of involvement and facilitation but we're going to ask what are your top tips what are your top tips for leadership what would you do if you were giving someone one top tip if they were a current leader or an aspiring leader what is your sort of main takeaway for leadership okay my main takeaway is learn about the skills of andragogy learn about them inside out backside foremost and practice them Okay, 
And are there any resources or professional learning things that you could point um, colleagues to? Um, off the top of my head, I I would just Google um the best way adults learn. Okay. Dig into andragogy and then distill it into practices. What are they? What do specialists in andragogy actually do? How mm. do they say it? Find somebody who's a good facilitator. Model them. Watch them. Listen to them. Copy them. Yeah, go for it. Excellent. Fantastic. Um, Joyce, we could speak to you all evening. It's just been such a fantastic uh, and inspiring interview. Yeah, it's been great. I've really enjoyed, in particular, the international kind of focus and hearing a wee bit more about that, because that's not really something we've had much, is it, Jude? No, not at all. And it's, I think also for me, it was the main takeaway that about thinking about when we are teaching adults, it's a totally different process, mm. and it is you have to really consider the way that Leila and, and and no matter where you are, that there's going to be similar issues and similar barriers to overcome. Uh, and I just there's so many takeaways for me. So it's just been brilliant having a chat with you. It's uh, been fantastic having you on the show, and you're such a great supporter of us on Twitter and things as well. So thank you for all your help and support. it's now time for our feature called Inspired By. So this feature is about a bigger idea that takes a wee bit more planning for you to introduce into your practice. It could be a book, an idea, a spotlight on practice in schools or some sort of inspirational practice. So I'm interviewing Jude today. He's um, doing all the work. Um, As always. (laughs) What have you been inspired by? Um, So I've been inspired by Osiris Educational. Now there's loads of branches to this I suppose um, a school that I've just recently moved to a new post taking up a new post at a new school mm-hmm. are involved in the outstanding teaching intervention so that's a, a sort of year-long approach to um, improving and uh, developing learning and teaching so these teachers who have signed up for this at the, at the school that I'm at, they have signed up to this ongoing professional development. It involves mm-hmm. recording lessons, having one-to-one um, feedback sessions with uh, someone from Osiris to to look over the video, give feedback, and to 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 rate their lessons on a, on a sort of a scale, and to look for improvement. And absolutely fantastic uh, piece of work. You've got a question. You've got your hand up. <laughs> yes, Mr. Bain. We always do that, don't we? I would Get be using up. my lollipop. <laughs> um, so how long is the programme lasting? Now, I think the programme lasts a year. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, we're investing quite heavily in this in terms of we're, we've got one cohort going through. There's another cohort okay. going through next year. So how many staff are you involved So there's, there's five staff. Okay. This year, mm-hmm. uh, and we're moving into another cohort going through next year. But actually, I'm also going to be taking part in the leadership program next okay. year. So they're 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 doing a leadership, Osiris intervention as well. So it's about looking at us and about how we can streamline that leadership process mm-hmm. as well. So it's a really fantastic learning opportunity for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on the back of this, and a lot of it is um built around ideas that are in the outstanding teaching series of books. So there's yeah, the teaching, teaching backwards, backwards yeah. and there's the what's the blue one called engaging learners mm-hmm. um fantastic series of books i think there's a new one coming out as well very shortly so okay. these books are written by andy griffith and mark burns uh-huh. filled with practical ideas that are then taken into these observations and 
the, the idea behind it is about engaging learners, about mm-hmm. increasing that consistency with excellence and teaching and learning and teaching throughout a school. And it's just, it is, it's inspiring. It really mm-hmm. is inspiring. And, and speaking to the staff that are involved in the process, absolutely loving it and feeling themselves just changed and, and transformed as educators. Brilliant. And how did you identify the staff? Did they select or self-select or did you identify those people who you think would benefit the most or was it a mix what what was it so it's interesting for me to come into the process kind of right at the end mm-hmm. of the process and seeing how it's it's the, speaking to the teachers that have been involved in that process and then seeing that next cohort coming through as well and it is very much a it's a self-selecting method you know so it was, okay. it was here's an opportunity who would like to put them in okay. up for that relatively daunting task in mm-hmm. in that you are being filmed mm-hmm. and you're you're you are being observed and scrutinized in quite a lot of detail mm-hmm. but also a lot of time you're having to invest in reviewing reflecting on your practice exactly yeah mm-hmm. and and what that's leading to is is teachers who are um, and I'm not saying they weren't enthused or engaged before but I think given the CIRUS intervention gives this real strong framework to hang these developments mm-hmm. on uh, and I think that coupled with that professional reading of the books mm-hmm. and then that professional dialogue with with that real expert mm-hmm. tutor that comes in and has those conversations it's just fantastic. So it sounds very similar um, to practitioner inquiry and, and the work that George Gilchrist described when he talked about getting support from someone coming into the school, but not relying on that person, but actually the expertise is within the organisation. Exactly. That... It's exactly right. And it's, it's, it's what we were talking about with Joyce uh, this evening as well. It's about that facilitating what teachers already have in mm. them. And it's it, the book and the, the approach very much recognises that it's not trying to create this sort of cookie-cutter method of mm. here's what an excellent teacher looks like, you must be this. Mm. It's actually how are you, what are you like as a teacher and what would be an excellent teacher for mm. you and what strategies and skills can you bring out with the underpinning understanding that these things are excellent and these approaches are non-negotiable. These things are interesting and engaging for learners and will lead to, to, to better outcomes. But you're bang on with that inquiring approach because it is, it's about looking at elements in your own classroom, mm-hmm. focusing on that intently and seeing how you can make improvements to, with, the, with the end goal of making improvements for a better, bigger impact for the learners in front of you. Thanks, Sheet. No worries. Okay, it's now time for We Recommend. So this is a short clip of something that can be picked up and introduced tomorrow in your classroom. Could be an article, an app, a Twitter account to follow, a website to use, or a physical resource. So again, Jude is working really hard. Um, Finally, what are you recommending? Uh, I am recommending this episode, uh, a fantastic website that I've used a lot in the past called the database. Okay, so what is the website URL? The website URL, practical information for everybody, <laughs> is idebate.org. Um, is that right? Correct, that yeah. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, you gave me an awful look there. Uh, the database, it's a fantastic resource that has curated over a thousand debates that are suitable for um, learners at school level. Um, it has so many different debates that are grouped around themes so there's education debates about Mm -hmm. should homework be 
mandatory for all mm-hmm. school children up to uh, degree level education should be mandatory for everybody else. Okay. And it gives you, it neatly summarises the debate, mm-hmm. both points for and against. It gives excellent links to other resources that you okay. can read around the debate. And then it very neatly summarises it into bullet points for and bullet points against. So really it's giving you key questions to answer, but it's also giving you the for and against side, kind of summaries. Yeah. And it's giving you links. So something you could use within the curriculum or maybe an extracurricular debating type club. Is that right? Exactly. And that's how I've seen it used effectively. I think it's great if you've got uh, an interdisciplinary project that you're looking Mm -hmm. at. It covers so many of the uh, listening and talking literacy benchmarks. But it also can, if you're engaging in a scientific debate, you can be looking at animal testing and whether that should be permitted or not and I think what's what's fantastic about it is that it clearly recognises that it will give you the starting point but you couldn't hold a whole debate just on the information that it gives you okay. and actually it encourages the learners to go away and find out more uh-huh. about the topic and it just gives you maybe two or three words of a point for and two or three words against and you couldn't just stand up and read them out it uh-huh. actually encourages them to think about that and engage and critically analyse the information that they're being given and I love debating in the classroom Brilliant. And how much does it cost? Absolutely free. Wow, even better. That's exactly what you want, isn't it? Indeed. Okay, thanks, Jude. No worries. Well, that's the end of episode seven. It was great to have Joyce Matthews on the show talking about unleashing leadership potential. You can follow Joyce at Joyce Matthews underscore and also check out her website at JoyceMatthewsPortfolio.com. As ever, you can follow us at EduBleather on Twitter and check out our website, which has loads more content all the time, edubleather.wordpress.com. Until the next episode, it's good night from Jude and I. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get rid of that last bit. <laughs>